copy of God's Word, please, to uh, Romans chapter 8. Again, if you haven't already, Romans chapter 8. I read this week an account. A preacher once shared about a lady in San Francisco um, who years ago walked out into the scene of the debris and the destruction from an earthquake and the lady actually smiled. A picture that a lady standing in the midst of debris and destruction, smiling And a friend asked her, how can you smile at a time like this? I think that's a fair question. I mean, we would wonder about someone who would walk out in the midst of such heartache and sorrow and smile. But you know what that lady answered as she stood there smiling among the debris and the destruction? She said, I rejoice that I have a God who can shake the world. I rejoice that I have a God that can shake the world. Now, what is it that gives some people that kind of faith? Well, simply put, I think it's because that they really, really know God. They don't know just know about God. They know God. And they have a strong faith. And until we come to realize and accept that, we're never going to dwell in the peace like we can because we need to understand that we have a God who is in absolute and total control not only of our lives, but the entire world. Sometimes we get the world part, but we forget about our lives. He's not just in control of the world, he's in control of our lives. And with that in mind, I want to spend our time this morning studying one of the greatest promises in all of the Bible. One of the greatest promises. Uh, You'll find that in the chapter we've been studying for some time now, Romans chapter 8, and this verse really brings about mixed emotions for me. I knew we would get to it. 
uh, God willing. And I, I look forward to today when we get to it. But at the same time, I, I dreaded a little bit getting to it because I knew I could never do justice to the verse itself. But the truth of the matter is, when you preach through a chapter or a book, you, you eventually get to the verse and, ready or not, you know, it's time to go. Um, whole books have been written on this one verse that we're going to study today. R.A. Torrey called this verse, and I actually took this as the title of today's message. He called this verse, this promise, a soft pillow for tired hearts. A soft pillow for tired hearts. And maybe that's you today. You're tired. Your heart is tired. You need help. Well, I want to give you a soft pillow for tired hearts. And I personally found out that he is right. This promise is um, a soft pillow for tired hearts. Before I read it together, though, I need to give you some warnings. I need to caution you. Uh, this verse may bring up many emotions for you. Uh, some people will smile, greatly assured by the promise we're about to read. Others may scratch their heads and wonder about this particular verse. And still others may be turned off to this particular uh, promise. For they feel it certainly cannot be so uh, that this verse could be true and this promise can be true. But whatever your gut reaction is, I want you to stay with me and I want you to hear me today. And I want you to understand exactly what God is saying, what God is promising. And I'm talking, of course, if you haven't figured it out by now, if you've been with us, you kind of know where we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Where the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Robert J. Morgan said that Romans 8.28 was God's dark room where negatives become positives. But what exactly does this verse mean? I mean, you read it and it just seems almost too good to be true. What is it teaching? What is God saying? What exactly is it promising? Well, I think it might help if we begin by saying this, and that is what it's not saying. What it's not promising. What it's not encouraging us in. So we're going to kind of start on that idea today. What this verse is not saying. First of all, this is very important. It is not saying that everything that happens is good. It is not saying that everything that happens is good. You've got to read carefully. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. There are a lot of things that happen to us in life. That are not good. They're not good. There are a lot of bad things that happen to people, even God's people. There's no shortage of illustrations, even in this very room, examples of this. We could spend probably the rest of this afternoon going from person to person telling about illustrations of bad things that have happened to God's people and to people that we love and even to ourselves. And that would be a very depressing and discouraging afternoon, so we're not going to do that. But And, and many times we, we don't understand why these things happen. We don't have an explanation for it. We're actually confused. Why would God allow this to happen to so-and-so? Why would God allow this bad thing to happen to that family or my family or to me? But this verse is not saying that everything that happens is good because it's not. Far from it. There's a lot of bad things that happen. So it's not saying 
that everything that happens is good. And that people that understand it that way, that, no wonder they're turned off by it. No wonder they say that can't be true. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that all things work together for good. Furthermore, it's not saying that this is true for everyone. Now hear me. This is not a blanket promise that applies to every person on the face of the planet. In fact, it's quite clear. It qualifies who this applies to. It says it applies to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. It's another way of saying that this verse, this promise, is for those who are believers, for those who are Christians, for those who know God and those who love God. And then it says those who are called according to His purpose. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Called according to His purpose. Well, to understand that, you've got to keep reading in the chapter, in the following verses. And we'll study these verses in a future study, God willing. But just to preview, if you will, you have the promise here in verse 28. You have the purpose in verse 29. And you have the process in verse 30. The promise in verse 28. The purpose in 29. And the process in verse 30. And if you look there uh, at verse number 29, we'll find the purpose. And it says, For whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so when it says that we're called according to his purpose, it means that God has a plan, that God is working out a purpose in our life. And that purpose is to make us like Jesus. And so Romans 8, 28, the promise only applies to those who belong to God, those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, listen. If you're not saved today, you don't truly love God. If you're not saved, you don't truly love God. Because God has made a way for you to be in relationship with Him. And only one way. And that is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you don't receive Christ, you're not loving God, you're rejecting God. But the Bible says... That though all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, there's none good, no, not one, God loves us so much that He gave Christ to take our place, to take our sin, to die on the cross, to shed His precious blood, to die and be buried, and then rise again. We talked about we sang about it this morning. He's mightily saved. He's conquered the grave. And if you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, He will bring you into relationship with Him and you will love Him. Because we love Him only because He first loved us. And I beg you today, if you don't know Christ, to come to Christ. But if you don't know Christ, this promise is not for you. If you're not a child of God, this promise is not for you. But if you are a child of God, this promise is for you. And so it's not saying this is true for everyone. So not everybody can quote Romans 8.28. But if you're a child of God, you can. Thirdly, what is it not saying? It's not saying that the good that happens will be good as we define the word. It's not saying that the good that happens, the good that's promised here, will be good as we define the word. This is where many people stumble and struggle when it comes to this verse. They use the wrong dictionary. You see, beloved, when you're reading the Bible, be careful whose dictionary you grab off the shelf. Make sure you're using God's dictionary. Make sure you're defining the word the way God defines them. We think of good in a particular way as humans, as people, especially Americans. 
Let's be honest about it. We think about good in life. We think about things like comfort and ease and smooth and wrinkle-free and stress-free and easy and pleasant and wonderful and abundant and just (sighs) sunshine and roses all the time. When God says good, when God says good, He's talking about the ultimate good. He's talking about, beloved, our good, that is, our good in bringing about glory to God and our becoming more like Jesus. That's what he talks about in verse 29. What is really good for us is when we love God, we glorify God, and we become more like Jesus. That's what's really good. And yes, God does bless us. I mean, let's be honest about it. Many of us are in here today and we are comfortable in many regards, but that is not the promise that God has given us. It's not good in the way we define the term. It's the ultimate good. That is becoming more like Jesus. What greater good could there be than bringing glory to God and our becoming more like Jesus? And so when you read this verse, you're going to struggle if you read it this way. And all things are going to work together so my life is easy and wrinkle-free and smooth and stress-free and no problems, all sunshine, all roses, no rain, no thorns, no pain. You're going to be frustrated if you read it that way. But that's not what it's saying. And so that brings to mind this question then. What is it saying? Let's talk about what it is saying here. It's saying this, beloved, we can just sum it up as the verse says, God is working everything together for good for those who belong to him. Ray Pritchard says he's erecting a sign over the unexplainable mysteries of life, a sign that reads, quiet, God at work. Now, we're not always sure to what end. We know it's good, not evil, but that's what Romans 8, 28 is saying. Quiet, God is at work. God is taking all things. And we know that all things work together. So God is taking all things in our life. That's the pleasant things. The hard things. The easy things. The painful things. God is taking all things in our life and He's working them together for our good. Now, it might be easier to swallow. Let's just be honest about it. It would be easier if the verse said, and we know that God takes most things. That'd be easier. Or even better, uh, and God takes some things and works them together for our good. But that's not what it says. He says God takes all things. So that means, does that include the worst things that happen to us? Yes. Does that include the dumb things we do to ourselves? Hallelujah. Yes, it does. Even the dumb things. There's no exception. When he says all, he means all. Now remember, he's working them together. By themselves, we don't understand it. By themselves, we can't figure it out many times. I mean, we know some things we can kind of look at and say, well, I know God actually used that in my life to teach me this, or God prepared me for that through that. But a lot of things come in our lives, and we're wondering, what in the world is God doing with this? And then we think about the hard times and the rough times and the good times, and all together, how in the world can God do that? Well, let me ask you, just think about it. Um, 
How many of y'all enjoy eating flour? You know, just a stack of flour. Just, just get a big old stack of flour. Just grab a handful and chunk it in. I mean, you just sit around watching the ball game snacking on flour. Anybody? All right. What about, how many of you enjoy salt so much? You just you eat it by the teaspoon. You just, you just get the salt and just fill it with teaspoon. Pop it in there. Just, just a wonderful time. No way. What about baking powder? Do we have any baking powder fans in here? I mean, there's nothing better than you cracking open a box of baking powder and just kicking back on a Saturday night watching the ball game with baking powder. No, no, nobody in here. But let me, let me ask you that if you take those things, you take that flour and that baking powder and that salt and a few other ingredients and you put it in the oven and, and you mix it all together and get it just right and you put it in the oven, out comes fluffy, buttery, wonderful, southern, not northern, southern, biscuits. Just, just they're, they're just glorious. It's just heaven on a plate. And, and, and you add jelly or, or, or my favorite, the right apple butter from the apple barn in Sevierville, Tennessee. You get the apple. <laughs> Y'all laugh. My wife ordered a case of it for me for Christmas. <laughs> laugh all you want. I ain't sharing it with you. Uh, uh, there it is. But by themselves, yuck. I've never just on purpose grabbed a handful of flour. I've never just, I even a teaspoon of salt. But see, all those things are part of the ingredients to bring about something glorious, something wonderful. And that's a picture of what happens in our life. There, there's some bad things. Some salt comes along and baking powder and all these things where you mix in maybe some buttermilk and some other things and, and you get it all together. And that's what God is doing. He's the master at this. And He takes the various things in our life and He works them all together and something beautiful and something good happens. And God does that in our lives. By themselves, they're bad. By themselves, we don't want them. By themselves, we would not choose them. But He's not done. Can I just remind you of that? I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe it's a very hard time. Can I just remind you, God is not done with you. He's not done. Don't give up on Him. Don't, don't, don't stop trusting Him. Don't stop loving Him. He's not done. He's, he's adding in the different ingredients to bring about something beautiful. And that is something better than a biscuit. He's making you like Jesus. He wants you to be like His Son. That's what verse 29 says. He's making us like Jesus. This promise in verse 28 reminds us that God has a plan for our life. I hope you understand that. You're not here by chance. You're not at the mercy of fate. You're not just wandering through as some, some piece of, 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 of whatever on a planet just filling up space and time. You are created in the image of God. You're redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're bought by the blood of Christ. You're a child of God, an heir of God, a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And He's working out a plan in your life. And it's not just left to you. God is at work. Because a lot of things happen to us that are unexplainable. We don't understand them. We don't want them. We didn't choose them. But the Master is at work and He's molding and shaping us to make us like Jesus. And so don't give up. He's promised us that all things work together. I needed that this week. It's been a challenging week in many ways for me personally. 
It's been a challenging year in many ways. Last year was no different in many ways. But the reminder in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of those hard days, to remember quiet God's at work. God's at work. God's going to use this. I don't know how. I don't know exactly how it fits in, but he knows. See, he doesn't share the recipe fully with us. He doesn't show us all the ingredients. He shows us the finished product, Jesus. And he says, I'm going to take and work. Because all of us face different things. So we know what this verse is saying. God is working together all things together for your good, the ultimate good, if you belong to him. And so it brings us to this then. What do we say? We know what the verse is not saying. We know what it is saying. So what do we say? In other words, do we really believe this verse? Do we really believe this promise? It's interesting how it starts out. The first words are very interesting. And we know. You're with us. I guess it was last time we studied verse 26. Look at verse 26. Remember, we talked about likewise the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. And then it says in verse 26, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So verse 26, we find ourselves in weakness. We don't know what to even pray. And I find it very interesting, just a couple of verses later, Paul, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God himself ordering these words, right after he says, we don't know what to pray for as we all, he comes to verse 28 and says, listen, there is something we do know. We know we're certain about this. God is working all things together for good to those who love him and they're called according to his purpose. There's certainty in his voice there. We don't know how to pray, but we do know this. God is working everything out for our good. Do we really, really believe this verse? I mean, yeah, it makes a great motto. You can hang it on the wall, make a sign out of it, put it on a bookmark, quote it to people. But do we really believe it? Do we live it? Do we really, really believe this verse? I think there's some ways we can test ourselves. In fact, let me question you in three areas. And I'll warn you, these are not easy. But I think they help us to see if we really, really believe this promise. The first question is this. How do we handle suffering in our life? How do we handle suffering in our life? When we're in the midst of suffering and pain, and, and, and whether it's physical, emotional, whatever, family, financial, struggling on the job, in school, decisions, there's various forms of suffering, maybe suffering because of our faith even, being mocked, ridiculed, missing out because we love Jesus. Whatever the suffering is, how do we handle that? Do we spend our time blaming God? Do we spend our time questioning God? Do we grow angry? In the midst of our suffering? Do we grieve as if we have no hope or no help? Do we question God's goodness? Do we question God's wisdom? Do we look at other people and envy them? Those who seem like they don't suffer at all, and yet here we are, we're suffering. I mean, because if Romans 8.28 is true, and it is, if we really believe it, then when suffering comes in our lives, we're going to see suffering in a different light. Now, no, we're not going to enjoy it, per se, but we're going to understand that there's a purpose in the pain, there's a purpose in the suffering, and even in the midst of all of that, God is using that in my life for good. How do we handle suffering? 
I told you these are painful. This one really is painful. This next question. How much do we complain? I know it hurts. I mean, if this promise is true, and it is, how can we complain? It covers everything. He's working all things together. Everything. That annoying person at work. That classmate that drives you up a wall. The people that cause pain in your life. Waiting. Financial reverses. Bad medical reports. Colds, flu, broken limbs, cars that break down and are forever in the shop, flat tires. Broken appliances. Everything. If Romans 8.28 is true, how can we complain? Because the Bible is then saying that God takes all those things. So, well, how can a flat tire work in that? Well, God's in charge. It, it can and it does. How can losing a loved one, how can losing a job, how can sickness, how can pain? God is the master and he's making something beautiful. We dare not complain. We need to trust. That one hurts enough. Let's move on to the next one. How grateful are we? I mean, if Romans 8.28 is true, and it is, can we not still praise God in the midst of all the bad stuff? Because, I mean, in the midst of, of the worst, you know, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. We don't usually struggle. Sometimes we forget to praise God when things are going well, true. But it's a lot easier to say, oh, Lord, thank you that the fridge is full and the car is running and the kids are behaving and the job's going well and we've got more money than month and, and everything's even nobody's sick right now and no, there's no issues going on. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But then we have those days where it just seems like everything goes wrong. But even on those days, can I remind you, He's still good and always has been good and always will be good. And even though everything is crumbling around us, we can still be thankful like that precious lady in San Francisco that we have a God that can shake the world who's still on the throne. You see, beloved, Romans 8.28 is not just a verse that you should you know, highlight in your Bible. That's great and I encourage you to do it or underline it. It's not just a verse to hang on your wall. Oh, that's good too. Romans 8.28 is a verse that you need to memorize you need to meditate on it and you need to master it. Or better yet, let it master you. And I want to encourage you this week to put this verse around you. Whatever that means, wherever you'll see it often. Wherever you go often. For some, it might be the refrigerator door. For others, it might be your home screen on your cell phone. For others, it might be the dash of your car. Wherever, it might be on the bathroom mirror. But to surround, maybe more than one spot, surround yourself this week with Romans 8.28. 
Begin memorizing. Just keep reading. As you keep reading it, you'll memorize it. Begin thinking about it. And every, th- every time something bad happens this week, quote this verse. Read it. You have to. Every time something bad happens, read it. And we know that God works all things together for good. See how it changes your perspective? Just, just by saying it. In the midst of the debris, in the midst of the destruction, in the midst when you get off the phone with a bad report, just to stop for a moment and as a child of God with confidence and certainty say, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now listen, not just the bad things, but when you get the trophy, when you get the promotion, when you get the A, on the test this week, when good things happen, would you pause for a moment and just stop and say, and we know that all things work together? Because then I realize it's not about me and me and my praise. It's God taking all the things and working them together for something good. It's all included. I want to encourage you to surround yourself with this verse this week. Donald Gray Barnhouse was one of the great Bible teachers of yesteryear. He's in heaven now. And he, he wrote a, a commentary, a series in the book of Romans. In fact, I have it on my shelf. It's four volumes. Uh, I don't, can't always even read everything he has to say. I don't have time in a week. But he made the following comment. And then he tells a story I want to share with you. On Romans 8, 28, he said, God says it is not possible for any man to be at complete rest until he is aware that all things are happening according to a divine plan. Restate it simply, you're not going to be at rest until you realize that all things are happening according to a divine plan. God has a divine plan for your life. And then he told this story. He said that an elderly minister in his Bible he kept a bookmark that was made up of silk threads woven into a model. You ever seen one of those? Maybe your grandparents had one. You used to make the bookmarks and they were silk threads and they were woven through and they would have them. And this elderly minister, he would keep this silk bookmark in his Bible. And the back of that bookmark was a tangled web of cross threads. And we, really, it looked like it, it didn't make any sense at all. It's just a bunch of silk threads. That really meant nothing. And he said this elderly minister, he would go to homes and visit where there had been some great trouble or sorrow or death. And he would take his Bible, he would take out that bookmark, and he would present it to the family that he was visiting, showing the backside of the bookmark. And, and the one that was bereaved or sorrowing or in trouble, they would look at it and they'd look at all those tangled, jumbled threads that seemed to make no sense whatsoever. It just seemed to be disorder and confusion and unexplainable. And as they were there, the minister would then ask them to turn the marker over to the other side. And when they would turn those tangled jumbled threads of that marker over against the white silk background there was a phrase that appeared in colored threads that simply read 
God is love. And it made perfect sense. And Barnhouse said, it is thus with all of the tangled patterns of life for the one who's been called according to the divine plan. Right now, many times, beloved, all we see is the backside. Tangled threads. Jumbled mess. No sense whatsoever. We don't realize that the master weaver is taking all of those and when you turn the marker over, it's revealed God is love. And the reason that we often struggle so in life is we spend all of our time looking at the tangled threads rather than looking at the great weaver. Turn your eyes to Him. Say it with certainty. Say it with confidence. Say it with boldness because it's true and God promises it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Amen. And amen. Father, seal this truth to our hearts. I know that I'm speaking to some this morning that feel like they're sitting in a tangled, unexplainable, jumbled pile of threads. Give them the faith and the assurance today that you're weaving all of that together for their ultimate good. Lord, help us not just to memorize this verse, but help us to really, really ponder and meditate and think on it. And I pray that it will master us, that it will help us to have an unshakable faith, that will help us and guard us from complaining and from questioning, but move us on to thankfulness and praising. So Lord, thank You that this verse is true. Thank You for this promise. Thank You for this time and for these precious people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought the most appropriate hymn to close with today was 544. Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. The altar is open if we can help You in some way or you just want to come and pray. But let's stand together. 544, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Mm-hmm.